verse-by-verse and checking it out, seeing what God has to say through it. Um, One of my favorite chapters of the Bible is Mark chapter 4. I talked about it a little bit last week. I've preached on it a bunch in this church, and usually I preach on it because I really love preaching on it. This week, guess what? We've come to that place in the scriptures where Mark 4 is repeated in Matthew 13. And so those of you who have been in this church for a long time, it's your day to hear it again. And for those of you who haven't, uh, welcome to one of my favorite parts of the scripture. I just love this chapter of scripture. It changed my life. I was doing inductive Bible study one day, and this passage of scripture opened up to me in a way where I was like, oh my gosh, God, I feel like I know what you're up to for the first time in so long. And so uh, I'm excited to jump in with y'all. And uh, if you're one who's been here for a long time, keep your heart open. You might learn something new. All right, Matthew 13, verse 1. Let's read. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell, along ro- so, some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ear, let them hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. Their, uh, they hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but didn't see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen, then, what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. It was, uh, is this, the seeds, this is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of, deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. I meditated on this passage this week. There was something that I had this kind of really honest moment with the Lord where I tried to get before him and be honest with the desires of my heart. So I went into kind of a place of prayer, and I started meditating on that verse that says, if you, being evil, know how to be a good father to your children and give good gifts to your children, how much more your heavenly father will give good gifts to you? And then it says, therefore, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. But there was this kind of, there's this progression of the passage that went something like this. God is amazingly good. 
in my best moments as a father, when I father my children as perfectly as I possibly can, it's not even a shadow or a comparison to how amazingly good he is. And because of that, you can be honest with the desires of your heart before him and trust that as a good father, he hears those things and he responds and cares. And so I got into this place with the Lord where I was just like meditating and chewing on that. And I was like, Lord, I realize that the desire of my heart almost more than anything else is to live a fruitful life. I want to live a life that's fruitful. I want to live a life where the power of God, the love of God, the manifestation of God in my life and through my life is tangible and evident by the things that it produces around it. The idea of fruit is this idea of production, right? In this case, it's one seed that then bears a hundredfold fruit, a hundredfold harvest. This one seed comes out and it multiplies a hundredfold. And I was like, oh God, like that is what I want in my work life. That is what I want for my church. That is what I want for my marriage. That's what I want as a father. That's what I want as a friend. All across the board, God, what I've seen is you are amazingly good. And if I can receive what you're giving and that goes out from my life and produces multiplication, like I will give anything for that. Like literally, I will give anything for that. That is, that is the life that, that I'm just like centered in on living And so when I jumped into this passage, I was so excited to see that it starts with this thing where a farmer goes out and is scattering seed. And I was like, what is the chief end of a farmer? The chief end of a farmer is to produce a huge crop. And I was like, yes, teach me about fruitfulness. How are we going to do this fruitfulness thing? And so that's what this passage centers around is how can we be fruitful? How can we receive the seed of God into our life to such an extent that it doesn't just get choked out? That we're not ones that just receive it with joy and we're like, that was a good word. And then two days later, it's gone and and it's like it never happened. But we're like the type of individuals that can receive the word of the Lord. It goes deep into us and then somehow God does whatever he does and we'll talk about what that is and then it comes out in this multiplication effect, where the world is loved by God through our very lives. God's hands and his feet and his mouth are us in the world, and we go out as agents of reconciliation saying, who God's been represented as over here, that's not who God is. This is who God is. See the fruit in my life. See the way I live my life. See the words that come out of my mouth. See the way I use my money. See the friendships and how we come together as one to forcefully bring the kingdom on the earth because the kingdom is one of love and peace and Jesus is just amazing and anybody who can receive him into their life, we want that and we want to see it go everywhere, unabashedly. My life sucked before Jesus. Now it's amazing. I love my life and that has everything to do with receiving him and I want that for other people. And so this passage can teach us some of the the keys of how that looks and how to live fruitfulness. So let's break this thing down because it's not all that simple. So the first thing that we see in this is that Jesus is hanging out by a lake and then all of these people start showing up. And I wonder if Jesus would have gotten annoyed like I would have gotten annoyed. Right, like he just came out of this situation. It says that same day. What he was doing before this is he was having it out with these religious leaders of the time, calling them a brood of vipers because they were not acting good to the people that they were supposed to be serving. And so he comes out of kind of this confrontational moment, and I picture that he's like, "This is totally my version." But he sits by the sea and he's like talking to to his father, and he's like, "Man, like, how long will I have to bear with these people?" You know, and So he's sitting by the sea, and then people start showing up. And being of endless patience, he's like, yes, this is awesome. So this massive crowd comes on the shore, and so Jesus gets in a boat and sits down, and then there's this massive crowd in front of him standing on the shore. That's the scene here. He starts speaking in parables. He starts speaking in riddles. And he sends out this word, and this this sermon, if you will, goes out to this crowd 
and nobody understands what he's talking about. Even the disciples are confused about what he's talking about and why he speaks in mysterious ways. So the first thing that we see in this passage that we really need to get into us is if we're going to follow God and we're going to understand who he is, there's going to be a lot of mystery and there's going to be a lot of confusion because that's exactly what the disciples and the masses were all experiencing right here. And intentionally, this was the part that changed my life. I was like, God, why does it feel like everything's so mysterious and behind a cloak with you? I go to pray and you feel a million miles away. I look in your Bible and I'm like, I don't know what this thing means. And then I hear a sermon. I'm like, what is that guy talking about? And there's like all of these things that I interact with. And I'm like, why would you show up like this in my life? You say that you care about me. You say that, you know, you're with me every step of the way, but I see this, this, and this in my life. I don't understand that. I don't understand prayer. I don't understand the Bible. I don't understand this. There's so many things that I didn't understand. And honestly, if I, if I was really honest with myself, I felt rejected by God through most of them. I felt like, man, I'm here clawing and scraping, trying to understand who you are, and I feel like I get very little out the other side. And when I came to this passage, the revelation that I got was God intentionally masks truth, if you will. He actually is intentionally confusing to the people in this passage. He could just start with the explanation, right? He could just say, hey, this is what the parable means. Or he could say it to the masses immediately after he tells the parables. Or how about this? Not tell a parable at all. That would be a novel idea for Jesus. Like, just preach a sermon where you're like, this is what the kingdom is. Here's how it works. If you have a hard heart and a seed comes, if I speak and you have a hard heart and this comes, it's not going to bear any fruit. It's going to bounce off and then the devil's going to steal the word and it's going to be of no profit to you. Right? He could have said that. He could show up the minute we close our eyes in prayer, overwhelm us with his presence and just be like, here's who I am. He could do that when we open his Bible. He could do that in so many different areas. He could be obvious. He could have come not as a carpenter. He could have come as a royal king. But he does this everywhere. He takes a nugget of gold and he packages it in something that is non-obvious. He takes the deepest things of the kingdom like the Holy Spirit living inside of this man, and then he has it born through a virgin, have a normal upbringing, be a carpenter's son, learn how to make some tables, and then when he's 30, he starts to do ministry. Like, why would you do that? Because he masks truth. He's intentionally non-obvious. And so the disciples say, they basically could say, why are you so non-obvious? Why are you always speaking in confusing ways? Like, why don't you just tell us what's going on? And one of the things that I, that's also in this passage that's really interesting is he says, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you. The secrets of the kingdom of heaven. So he preaches this message to the masses. Nobody understands. The disciples come to him afterwards and say, why do you do that? And he says, because my secrets have been given to you. Now, what's the interesting thing about secrets? The interesting thing about secrets is you don't tell everybody them. Right? They're secrets. They're things that you reserve for people that are close to your heart and that can be trusted with your secrets. So he says, it's not beneficial for me to tell everybody these secrets. If it was, I would do it. But these are secrets. These are reserved for a special few. And it reminded me of John chapter 15 and verse 5. So this is the famous passage about, I am the vine, you are the branches. And it talks about fruitfulness in this passage. It says, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. And then it says this, it says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. So the interesting thing about this for the disciples, this is like three years into their relationship with Jesus. This is deep into it. And he says, I no longer call you servants. That means that 
at one time, he called them servants, right? At one point, he wasn't just sharing the secrets of the kingdom with them openly, that there was things coming their way. There was offenses coming up. There was misunderstandings. There was like probably reconciliation moments. There's all these things. And he probably wasn't as obvious with them as he was here, where he's like, secrets are yours. We're now friends. Let me tell you everything that's going on in the kingdom. I don't know about you, but for me, that like drives me. That drives me. Like I want to be somebody that's trustworthy with God's secrets. I want to be somebody where God's like, I can tell you what I'm up to because we're so aligned in heart that this is just good. And I think the crazy thing about this is it's not everybody. It's not everybody. This is, this is something that, that Jesus is saying to his disciples, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. But there's this progression of discipleship that happens that we need to have a vision for. And even for some of us where we feel like we're in servant zone and we're like, man, I don't like it here. Does anybody resonate with that one? I, you know, like, I don't want to be in servant zone. I want to know the deepest things that are going on in your hearts. Like, show me, what does it look like to be a friend of God? What does it look like for you to want to trust me with the deepest things of your heart? And so one of the things that we see here is we see one of the tricks or one of the keys to becoming a friend of God. How did the disciples move from a place of misunderstanding to understanding? How did the disciples move from a place of just being like the masses and everybody else to moving into a place where, oh, I totally get it. They stuck around long enough, hanging out with Jesus, past the obvious moment, into the quiet place where they then had the opportunity to ask him the question. The crowds leave, the buzz disseminates, everybody, almost everybody leaves, and there's a select few that stick around and they're asking him personal questions. Hey, why do, you, why do you speak in parables? Oh, let me tell you. You would think that I would come obvious. You would think that I would come and, and be as clear as possible so that everybody will get it immediately, right? No. I speak in secrets. I speak in mysteries. I speak in parables. And so they stick around and he, he, he unpacks this beautiful passage and the, the crazy thing that you'll notice about this passage is this passage is explaining exactly what's happening in this scene. So this parable is what Jesus is doing in this moment. Check it out. A farmer goes, sits in a boat, and scatters a bunch of seeds all over the place, preaching this message to many different types of soil, and the seeds landing on all these different hearts. And there's different responses depending upon where the person that's sitting there is. There's some, like you, disciples, that have seen enough of me, have walked with me, have learned about me, have cared enough to stop your lives and to leave your jobs and to follow me. And guess what? You get to sit here. You're like the soft soil. You're like the soil where it hits your heart. You receive it deep down into you. And because of the environment around this seed, it blows up into growth. But don't miss that. We were talking about fruitfulness earlier. Where does the power of fruitfulness come from? Where does the power of fruitfulness come from? It's contained in this tiny little unassuming seed about this big. It's just like the things we've been talking about. In this obscure, tiny little package that most people would step on with their foot and walk over, not think two thoughts about it, when that tiny little obscure package carrying the entire power of the kingdom in it lands in the right type of environment, it blows up into a hundredfold fruit. 
the power of fruitfulness is contained in this unassuming word, this unassuming package, where God speaks a word to you, and it hits your heart, and it's received in, and it says in this passage, we'll talk about it in a second, we'll say, but it says, in the right kind of environment, the thing bears much fruit. And the crazy thing as I meditated on this passage was this. God spoke the worlds into existence. He said, let there be light. They explode into existence. He says, let's make some animals. He speaks it into being. Boom. Let's make some plants. Boom. Like all of these words create these massive things. Like these, the way I think about it is that the Big Bang was literally the moment let there be light. And it was like, Boom, and the universe is fire off into existence, and now they're traveling at the speed of light in every direction. From a single word from the Lord's mouth. And in this passage, the word of God is treated as seed, and it says that even the concerns of the world and the deceitfulness of riches have the power to choke it out. A word from God spoke the worlds into existence. A word from God can be fruitfulness in our lives in dramatic ways. But that same word, somehow, even though it's the power of God unto salvation, is so fragile that it can be choked out by the concerns of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. That's crazy. And I think for... For a church like ours, you know, like, we have a call, largely, a lot of us in this church have a call out into the work world, out into the marketplace. And I'll tell you a, a little part of my story. You know, when I, when I graduated from UC Berkeley, I wanted to go out into the work world, and I felt ready, and I had been being discipled by people, and I came out of InterVarsity, and I was fired up. I was so yielded to God at the time. And God talk, took me in to be staff with InterVarsity for four years and wouldn't let me go into the work world at that point. And I was bummed, you know? Like, I was like, no, I'd, I'd rather do this, but God, if you're saying do this, then I'll do this. You know what I realized four years later? I think I wasn't ready. I think I wasn't ready. Because if I'm in the work world, I want to, like, really do the work world. You know, I don't want to... I think sometimes we say, like, Claire and Luke, they're being sent out to missions and like they'll go all over the world and take the gospel to China and you know do all this stuff and, and we're like, wow, that's laid down. That's amazing. But you know why we do that? It's because the marketplace version doesn't, it's not as extreme. But why is it not as extreme? It's because we don't make it as extreme. It can be as extreme. We just don't make it as extreme. You know, like, you can have vision for what it looks like to go into your workplace and have that be transformed and fruitfulness blow up everywhere. You can have vision for what it looks like to make crazy amounts of money and give it all away. You can have vision, like Chuck was talking about with Blaine Cook, where you're like, man, there are some serious perils in this world. What I want to do is enter the work world and have God breathe creativity in me where I'm coming up with inventions to problems that have plagued the world for generations. You know, like better ways to have clean water in third world nations, vaccines to, to diseases that are taking out wild areas. But honestly, like, I think the reason why I wasn't ready is because now that I live in it, I see how easy it is for the concerns of the world to just take a big place. You know? And I don't, you know, like, you guys know me. I'm usually happy and encouraging. This isn't meant to be a bummer. This is just meant for us to be like, oh, yeah. Like, this is real. And there's general church statistics right now that say that 95% of people who are in churches have never led somebody to the Lord. And if you've never led somebody to the Lord, this is not meant to be condemnation in any regard. In any regard. Yeah, people are getting brushed off over here like, 
you know, brush that condemnation off of me. <clears throat> the point of this is not to put weight on our back. Remember that the seed carries the power of transformation, not us lashing ourselves and trying so much harder and, oh, bad, bad, bad Christian. That's not what I'm going for. What I am going for is let's ask ourselves the question, why am I not one that has a hundredfold fruit flowing through my life? And if it's not the hundredfold, the 60, the 30, maybe we can look at it, you know, like let's, let's partner up together and be like, are there areas where the, just the general busyness of life and just the, the worries and the concerns of life just have overcome my yieldedness to God and my desire to receive everything he has in the depths of me and live out of that place. That's the intention. Is there, is there any portion of the deceitfulness of riches that I hang on to, that I'm just like, man, in money there's security in life? That's the deceitfulness of riches. In money there's security and there's life. And so I need to hold on to it like it's my security and like it's my life. Is there any part of us where those weeds could be grabbing hold of the seeds that go in and choking them out before they're able to, to be a hundredfold fruit? And the reason why I talk this way, the reason why I go after this, the reason why I go direct like this is because I know this church. I know us. We're a bunch of people that are like, man, I want to do this thing, and I want to go all the way, and I want to follow Jesus. I want to be a disciple. I want to bear a hundredfold fruit. And so this is just a kind of a family moment where we're like, okay, let's, let's take a, a look. Am I as fruitful as I want to be? No, me neither. Why is that, Lord? Search me. Know me. My life is yours. Clean my soil. Soften my heart. Like I said last week, make me a container where anything that's put inside of me that's valuable and kingdom just bears fruit and lasts and thrives and keep all that other stuff out of my soil. I don't want any of it. So the, the seed carries the power of transformation but the right environment is required of the heart to experience the growth and the fruit that we all long for. There's this interesting part of this passage that says, it's kind of one of those semi-offensive things where it says, <laughs> I said one of those semi-offensive things, Christina goes, yeah. <laughs> That's how you know you're ready to be molded by God. <laughs> it says, those who have will get more. Those who don't have, even what they have will be taken away. <laughs> Dang. Dang it, right? But let's talk about this for a second. God is really big on this stewardship thing. In every area of life, what God is looking for is, do you value and do you take care of the stuff that I give you? Because it's the desire of his heart to give us all things. It says that in the scripture. It's the desire of his heart to give us all things lavishly. Like, oh man, I just want to soak you in blessing. That's the desire of his heart. But when he soaks us with blessing, when it's not an environment of great stewardship, it leads to one thing, entitlement. It leads to entitlement. So God would literally destroy us if he added on to our blessing in an environment where we squander what he's given us. When you're a parent, you realize this real quick. If you know McKenna, she has no problem asking for stuff, and she has no problem pushing for stuff, and she just like pushes and pushes and pushes, and we're teaching her how to not do that so much. (laughs) 
But you know what it looks like? A lot of Christians don't have that comfort with their father, their heavenly father, to ever have those kinds of dialogues. It was, you know, I was telling you how they had this moment with the Lord where I was asking him, Lord, I want to know the desires of my heart and I want to be honest enough with them to bring them before you. And the thing that I immediately, the stuff that immediately started coming up was really carnal stuff. This is my confession moment. Instead of going into a booth with a priest, I just use you guys. (laughs) Happens all the time. But like all this carnal stuff started coming up, seemingly carnal stuff, I'll put it that way. And I was like, you know what would be awesome is to have a bigger house so that we could put more people in it. <laughs> and then I was like, you know what would be awesome is more promotion at work because then I'd be responsible for more things, right? But like as it comes up as bigger house, it doesn't feel that godly. As it comes up as promotion at work, it doesn't feel that godly. And I was kind of in these, one of these things where, I don't know if you've ever done this, where you journal, and you're starting to journal a sentence, and you're like, I don't feel like I should be journaling this right now, you know? Like, my prayer list should start with all poverty in every nation being eliminated, and then it should go to, you know, whatever. You know, the hierarchy, right? The Christian hierarchy. And as I was doing this, There's part of me that was just like, God, this is really uncomfortable. Like, being this honest with you is really uncomfortable. And I think there's something to it. So let me tell you where I landed, and we can decide whether it's a good place or not. (laughs) On the one hand, you have people that are so scared to ever bring their desires before the Lord, they never do. And I think oftentimes, you do not have because you do not ask. God's never answering a prayer. Well, that's because you never bring him anything that actually is like really core to your desires. So I think there's this like, you know, I would hate it if McKenna felt scared to bring to me the stuff that was truly going on in her heart. That would be horrible. I want her to come to me with all of this stuff. What I don't want is the pushing and the pushing and the pushing and the pushing, right? And so I was like, this is it, God. This is what discipleship with the Lord looks like, is you bring your desires of your heart. You're totally naked and unashamed before the Lord. If you really want it, let it come up. But then here's the part. You're not so rigid inside that you hold on to it when he wants to mold it out. That's what I want from my daughter. Baby, yeah, I know you want another cupcake, and you've told me 16 times that you want another (laughs) cupcake, right? You're not the persistent widow. You're not going to get it. (laughs) Right? You're not getting it. So you can push all you want. You're still not getting it. Right? And what I want to do in that situation is I want to just say, like, hey, it's bad for your body. You know, this doesn't lead to a good path long term. It feels good in the moment. But, right? And have her go, oh, yeah, yes, daddy, that makes sense. (laughs) Right? But I want her to be authentic and honest with me. Like, I don't want to lose that part. I don't want her to put on some religious facade and only bring to me, Daddy, I want to read. Is that okay if I read today? (laughs) Right? Like, Daddy, I don't want any ice cream. I want peas. You know, it's like, come on. I would be, I would feel like I was doing something wrong if she didn't feel that comfort level. And I think sometimes God's like, what are you doing? You know? Like, what are you bringing to me? Is this what you think I want to hear right now? And then I think on the other side, sometimes we bring stuff to him, and he's like, yeah, that's not good for you. And you're like, no, but please. And it's like, yeah, that's not good for you. Oh, but please. No, that's not good for you. But please. You're right? And he's like, allow your heart to be soft enough for me to mold that stuff out. But I think sometimes that stuff can just exist in our soil for years and because we're never bringing it up to him, it's just down there, hanging out. 
There's never any authenticity to, like David said, being like, know my heart, God. Here's the whole thing. We both know there's stuff in there that's not perfect, right? We both know it. But like, here's what's going on in me. Is that desire good for me? Here's what's going on for me. How about that one? Is that one good for me? And you like, let him mold and shape the stuff that's going on. It's like he's dragging his fingers through your soil and coming out with a bunch of weeds and rocks. And he's like hucking them out, right? And then other ones that you think are weeds and rocks, he totally affirms. And you're like, oh my gosh, you're way better than I thought you were. My religious fears would have told me that you would have hated that one, but you actually love that? Like, I would have never expected that. And then all of a sudden, that thing that you were terrified, that part of your heart that was shut down because you were terrified, you realize that God has put something totally godly there, and he wants to cultivate it, and, and now you don't need to live in fear anymore. But it all starts with, like the disciples, this moment of intimacy where it quiets down, and they get authentic with the Lord. Do you think this is the right question to ask? No, I guess so. God, we really want to be great. <laughs> like, how can we be great? Like, how can I be the greatest? Right? This is one of the things the disciples asked Jesus. How can I be super awesome? Right? And you think Jesus would be like, are you kidding me right now? This is about my glory, not your glory. Like, learn that first and come back. Right? And he doesn't say that at all. He goes, you want to be super great? Learn how to serve. Learn how to serve. That passion for greatness, that's from me. The application, go learn how to be the least. Go learn how to serve in the dirt. Then you'll be amazing, just like me. But they would have never got there if they didn't have the authentic moment with Jesus where they're like, man, there's this greatness thing going on in my heart. Like, I really feel like I want to be great. Jesus, how can we be great, right? And then he totally affirms it, right? And so there's this authentic thing. There's this stewardship thing. There's this, this all of these different pieces come together to, to nurture this seed and to make it something where the kingdom power, the power of God unto salvation that's contained in the very word of God is, is, is made in this environment of trust and faith and belief in God and it just starts to, over time, not immediately, some of us need some stinking patience, including myself. I want to have, like, the intergalactic ministry of all times right now. But, like, what does it look like for us to be faithful with what God is doing right now? What does it look like to be super thankful for what God is doing in your life right now? There's a bunch of stuff that you would change. But what is God doing? And as you look at that, it's a faithfulness moment where he goes, those who have will receive more. And as you recognize what you have, there's an honor and a respect for what he's doing in your life where he goes, awesome, have more. And that's how fruitfulness happens over time. You know, one of the things that I'm really passionate about for us right now as a church. I want to share it with you so you can co-steward this with me. But we have amazing times of worship. Today was one of them, man. There's just like, you know, these moments of build, and you're like, ooh, it's coming, right? And it's like, <laughs> And if you're not there, that's fine. But, but like, what does it look like for us to steward our moments of worship like that? Where God is giving us this gift where he's like, here's a measure of my presence in your midst. Like, what does it look like for us to, to steward that moment? What does it look like for us to, to steward the words that go forth in our Bible studies? What does it look like for us to steward the words that come out on our Sundays? What does it look like for us to steward our personal times with the Lord? Where he speaks to us just a whisper and we go, ooh. If that's really your voice, I want to treasure that in my heart. There's this awesome passage when Mary 
gets the word of the Lord that she'll be the one that carries the Savior child. And it basically says she's, she treasured all of these things in her heart is the way that the scripture put it. What does it look like for us to just crazy treasure the stuff that God's doing in our midst, in our heart? Like, wow, God. For the Joneses, right? Like, wow, God, like, look what you did this year. Like, look what you did, God. And just like, you know, if it's hard to get the first time around, meditate on it and ask the Spirit of God to bring it to life. Wow, wow. And I think sometimes, you know, one of the most interesting things that I found in this passage is did you notice that it didn't say that understanding will come to the, to the mind? Check this out. It says, Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts. Understand with their hearts. I think sometimes the seed isn't bearing the fruit that we want it to is because it stops in our mind. I think we're so used to and so good at using our mind as the main grounds for stuff hanging out, if you will, that we don't know what it looks like for something to hit our minds, pass through those filters, which is like, totally a good use for your mind. You don't want every seed going into your soil, right? And so the the seeds of God come through, they pass through our minds, they land in our hearts, and they land in our hearts. Like, they sit in our heart. Like, you receive a prophetic word, you hear it, you understand it, you're like, I think that one's the Lord. It does not stop there. It does not stop there. It then cruises past that, and through prayer and meditation and thankfulness, it cruises down this very long 12 inches right here, very distant 12 inches, and then it sits in your heart, and then it starts to bear fruit, and it starts to bring about passion, and it starts to be about thankfulness to God, and it starts to bring about faith, and all of these things where we're like, that's where I want to live. I want to live in the place of extreme passion, extreme faith extreme thankfulness, extreme joy, and all of it comes from the words of the Lord living in our heart. And so as we talk about what it looks like to steward the word of God and the move of God and the the worship moments, his presence, like all of these things, a lot of what I'll encourage you to think about is, God, what does it look like for me to receive a word, receive it with my mind, and then allow it through meditation through thankfulness, through appreciation, through chewing on it, to cruise down and to sit into a place where it sits in the core of your being and there's just like this fertile soil thing happening on the words that you get out of your Bible or from the sermon or from prophetic words or whatever it is. It's just all stewarded in this environment where it bears a hundredfold fruit. Mary stored these things in her heart. And, the, and, and when it says that, it actually is this time continuum. It's not a one-time moment. It's over the years. Mary continually treasured these things in her heart. And I just, if Yanin could come back up, what I'd like to invite us into is just a lifestyle like this. A lifestyle where we're super impressed with what God's doing. Where it's just like, oh my gosh, God, I'm astounded you did that again. Even though every week the presence comes in our worship times and it's awesome, let's never let it be one of those things where we're like, oh yeah, I don't know if that was a greater measure than it was last week. You know, be like, oh my gosh, God, like how privileged are we that your spirit shows up and manifests in this way. Every time we open our Bible, oh yeah, not another, yeah, it was a good reading, you know, good Devo today, you know? And I'll challenge you actually on this one. You can do it. I've done it before. But it's relatively hard to get a Devo into your spirit man or woman 
on the bar train <laughs> or behind the wheel of a car. You can do it. You can speak in tongues for six hours on your way down to, to Southern California or something like that. You'll get there. But I think part of it is creating the environment for yourself where you can allow yourself to go deep, where you can allow yourself for those moments where instead of just reading the passage and letting it cruise around in your mind, you start to speak it out loud. And as you speak it out loud, it starts to cruise down and you repeat it over and over again. And then when you're worshiping, instead of just listening to it like this in the middle of your office and going, yes, Lord, is anyone looking at me? Okay, yes, Lord, is anyone looking at me? Right? Like you actually get in your prayer closet and you're like, God, like bust this thing loose. Like, let's go to the deeper places. You know, take me way past my mind. Take me into my spirit. Like, we need to, we need to have that as a regular part of our life. Where we don't settle anymore with this surface level stuff. Where we're like, man, this is getting past my mind. I'm sick of my mind. I want this to end up in the core of me. Amen. <laughs> All right, let's stand. Ready? Suki's got uh, some stuff she'd like to share. So as Ryan was um, sharing, um, I felt like, so not in a shifting kind of way, but I remember Ryan was telling me that he was going to do this passage. He's like, this is very similar to what I talked about last week about give, asking God questions and everything. And one of the things I felt like God was saying was that he's actually not done with that. He's not done with that. That's why it came up again. Um, not to be a downer or anything, um, but I really feel like there are some people who are still struggling with the Lord. Um, kind of the temptation is to harden your heart because there's been some kind of disappointment or he hasn't been answering things in a cer certain particular way. Or that they're, I think one of the things about this culture right now in, the, in this particular time in our nation, there's a lot of people who are um, not saying things pro very well and people, and it's really easy to get hurt and there's a lot of hurt that's around right now. And there's a lot of places where um, it's not just the seed of God, but I think the enemy wants us to be brooding on other seeds. And I think this process of us bringing things to the Lord, I think right now we're at a crossroads, some of us in this room, where we can either run to the Lord with those things or we can allow them to continue to fester. And I think the key is that verse 10 where when these things come up that we actually run to the Lord. One of the things that I was... We were praying when we were in intercession today and praying really, really um, deeply, I felt like, was that those who are in a place where they may not even know that they're offended would run to Jesus. And I'll just give you a key in case you don't even know that you're offended. Uh, one of the ways that we can tell that we're offended is that our heart grows cold. We, you know, like we stop expecting it feels just a little bit harder. And so in almost every place where our hearts are hard, you can tell that there's been a seed of offense. If you're all of a sudden you're like, I don't really enjoy hanging out with those people that much or that person that much, there's something maybe they did or said and you don't even know why, but they actually served to make you feel distanced now. Now the openness and the trust that I had with that person, it's not there. Or you know, like with church, I went, I tried, and they did something, but I don't really want to go anymore. It's a lot harder. I don't really want to, you know, why you, you go and you're like, I should do a quiet time, but for some reason that expectation changes and shifts and it's really hard and it's really unpleasant. The, I'll tell you, hardness builds over time. It kind of calcifies over time a lot of those and then not addressing them. And so even right now, I just wanted to call that out and say, like, the reason why I think God brought up this parable of the sower again is because I do believe, I don't think it's everyone, but I do believe that right now we're at a really interesting time in our nation and in our own hearts where the spirit of offense is really rampant, and it's especially rampant in this area. People get really hurt and really offended very much more easily than they do in other places, I feel. 
And people are much more easily ready to discount somebody else, write them off, write off God, write off religion, write off someone's good intent, even if the actions didn't, didn't line up with the intent. And I just really feel like that's not the heart and the way of the Lord. And so just to challenge us to um, en enter into the parable of the sower with, like, with asking God for soft hearts. You know, I think the gift that keeps on giving is a soft heart. And I think, like, ultimately with that parable of the sower is the good soil so that whatever God brings in, we can recognize it, receive it, cultivate it, and let it grow. Yeah, so we're going to move into a time of prayer and worship. So if you want to do business with the Lord around exactly what Suki was just saying, we have some awesome prayer ministers over here that are ready to bless you. Um, there's one other area that I want to just establish for us, and I believe it's this. I believe that the Lord is bringing this up right now because there's a grace on this right now to actually do this in your life. And so if you're in a place where you're like, man, I want to move to the deeper places with God, where those, those words and the things that come my way, they actually enter into my heart and into my spirit. I believe that there's an opportune time right now where the Lord is doing this in an expedited fashion. And as we ask him and we say, Lord, I want to get so great at stewarding the words that come my way and stewarding my heart. That desire is one that he loves to blow on and bless and affirm. And if you want somebody to pray with you in that particular area, then come up and get prayer too and just say, like, that's what I want. Agree with me that God's doing that and will, will help me break through. The, the places that have been hard in the past will help me break through. And so, Lord, as we move into a time of prayer, we just thank you in advance for this season of breakthrough. God, that you are doing things in this season in an expedited fashion. God, that you're, you're accelerating things in areas that have felt stuck for a long time in Jesus' name are being unstuck. And so, Lord, we just declare that. And anybody who has ears, let them hear. And, Lord, we offer you this prayer time. We ask that you'd make it powerful as we respond to your word and steward the thing that you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.